Please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you're uh, turning, let me welcome the thousand plus people that join us every week online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. I also want to welcome our friends at First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. Now, I just want to mention, as you're turning, that two weeks from today, we start our Unexpected Joy series from the book of Philippians, and uh, really encourage you to get a hold of your book that will go along with the series. I will start preaching on Philippians two weeks from today, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we launch it, and so encourage you to get the book to follow along, to be there for the sermon series, but also, if you're not a part of a small group, we'd love, this is like a great opportunity, it's just eight weeks long, Uh, some of the groups are only an hour in length, some are longer than that, but we're talking about a one, one and a half hour commitment once a week for eight weeks, and it will change your life. You know, we have a saying here at Purpose Church that everybody should have a big, a small, and a serve, a big, a small, a serve. Everybody, we want to be in a worship service once a week, a big. Everybody should be in a small group once a week, a small, and everybody should have a place to serve um, once a week. So big, big, small serve, worship service, small group, and a place to serve in the body of Christ. And so this is, if you do, are not currently part of a small group, if you've never tried one, don't be afraid. It is not, you know, people sometimes are really afraid of small groups. They think we're going to handle snakes there, or uh, they're going to be called on to quote from memory Ezekiel chapter 37, or, or the genealogies of the Bible backwards or something like that. No, none of this is going to happen. It is almost everybody, 99% of the people that try out a small group for the first time say it was, it was a wonderful experience. And this is such a great opportunity. I know we're all so busy, but this is an important priority. And if you're not currently part of a group, or maybe you used to be and you no longer am, this is great. Sermons, like I said, start two weeks from today, but the groups are forming now. So I what I want you to do is after the service is over, to go out to the lobby. And there's a big unexpected joy displays. There's a big one in the middle. There's one on the north side lobby, one on the south side of the lobby. And, and just talk to people by talking to the pe- person there, the representative. Th- that's not going to commit you to anything. You just want to check things out and see if there's a group that, that is right for you. They meet at all different times throughout the week. They meet different places geographically. So see if one fits your busy schedule and just go out there to check it. There's no obligation in checking out uh, just to see when the groups meet. And I would really, really encourage you uh, to do so. Okay, now as you look at your study outline, we are doing during the month of January a series from the book of Proverbs uh, called Words of Wisdom. And what I've challenged us to do as a church is to read a chapter from Proverbs uh, per day, uh, depending on what day of the month it is. So for example, today is January 21st, so read the 21st chapter of, of Proverbs. Tomorrow's January 22nd, so read chapter 22 and read a chapter of Proverbs each day during the month of January as we do this series. And then what I've been doing is taking different themes, major themes from the book of Proverbs, and then sharing those themes and, and then demonstrating, illustrating them through stories, many of them obscure stories from the Bible, in order to illustrate uh, these particular things. So, for example, two weeks ago, we talked about the themes of giving gentle answers and of taking advice, being willing to receive advice, and thinking before we act. Last Sunday, Pastor Eric just had a 
phenomenal message. I've heard so many people talk to me about his message last week. It's just tremendous. And he did it on friendship and seven principles from the book of Proverbs on how to have strong friendships. And I just heard many wonderful things. I'd encourage you to go online and, and, and to check it out. Uh, I got a chance to listen to it a couple of days ago. And I'm telling you, just the illustration of what parents say, the first thing all, almost all parents say when their child was born deaf their child has surgery, and so they hear their parents' voice for the first time. Just that one illustration I've been thinking about the last few days, ever since I heard that message, I encourage you to do it. And you know, uh, Jesus said, a prophet is without honor in his own country. And you know, I don't want any prophets to be without honor in their home church, and Purpose Church. And so I, I just hope we really appreciate how God is using Eric at different places across the country, around the world. He really is developing a nationwide, even a global uh, reputation. He's up speaking at Thousand Pines this weekend. In a few weeks, he'll be speaking at Hume Lake, which is the top uh, Christian conference ground in, in the world, uh, possibly. Uh, he's speaking in San Francisco after that. And then there even asking him to speak in Thailand to a conference, a Christian conference in Thailand. And so we are just so grateful how God has used Pastor Eric uh, with our student ministries here, all of our student ministries, and Sarah, his wife, with influencing our children, and then the two of them, uh, the great influence that they have had on our church uh, in the last five years. We're a different church because of their powerful influence uh, over the last few years, and so grateful for that. Well, now today, um, we're going to go with uh, my particular pattern of sharing some themes and then a story to illustrate those themes from Scripture. And so we're going to talk about influencers, mentors, and peaking. And so the first theme is to choose the right influencers uh, within your life. Uh, I got this from Brian Lowther, who does some research for me, and he found this from a book by Nicole Brannon called The Me Factor, The Me Effect, and it was published in The Scientific American. It says it's often said that we are the sum total of the five people we spend most of our time with. Now think about that for a minute. And maybe you want to jot down right now in your study outline, who are the five people you spend the most time with? And we are the sum total or the average of those five people. It's even been shown by research that our income is the average of their income of the, the average income of the five people we spend most time with. Oh, well, I read that and I said, man, I got to stop spending so much time with just pastors. I tell you, you know, I, I, I got I to get me some rich friends here, you know, raise the average. I know some of you are making your list of five and you're like, ah, oh, Harry's got to go, got to go. He's bringing down my average here around me. But more importantly, way more important than average income is our personality is affected by theirs. Uh, think about the five people closest to you and maybe jot down those five. Think about their strengths and their weaknesses, their positive and negative qualities, their good and bad personality traits. Okay, here's a question. Are they five people you would be happy to be the average of? Are they five people you'd be happy to be the average of? What if you wanted to be different? Not completely, just enough. A little more positive or creative or financially stable or spiritual. A smidge more street smart, book smart, or thought smart. You can you can deliberately pick what will influence you or who will influence you to bridge the gap between who you are and who you want to be. Now, this is true negatively as well. Uh, this is appropriate for flu uh, season. You might be physically healthy, 
But if the people you spend the most time with all have terrible colds, sneeze on you, and hand you their used tissues, well, sooner or later, you're going to catch the cold too. There is no short. Now, here's the good news. is not only are you influenced and you can pick who influences you, but also you have more influence on other people than you realize. Sometimes we think, oh, it's only the famous that, uh, you know, that have this great influence. No. Research shows that every one of us in this room have profound impact on the people uh, around us. You might, uh, there is no shortage of examples of people who have an undeniable influence on everyone around them. But the common wisdom has been that such individuals are rare. An intriguing new study, however, suggests the opposite. Everyone seems to have a tangible impact changing other people's feelings in consistent ways. So every day when you get up in the morning, you say, am I going to be the kind of person that has a positive influence on the people around me or no influence or a negative uh, influence? And so we can choose to be the right influence and we can choose the right influencers. Proverbs 15, verse 5. This starts uh, right from, from childhood. A fool spurns his parents' discipline. But whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Uh, Verse 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, the Bible also warns us about negative or wrong influencers uh, around us. Chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Bible says, be careful. Have you noticed that anger being contagious? How many of you have found anger is contagious? I do. When I'm around angry people, I I get angrier. Now, you say, Glenn, I thought we were supposed to influence our world for Christ. Well, this is different than oikos. Oikos, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence that the Bible talks about. This is 8 to 15 people that are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. That's what your oikos is. 8 to 15 people that are not yet followers of Jesus. And your assignment from God, we talk about this all the time at Purpose Church, is to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. And if everybody does that, the whole world will be one for Christ. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. As a matter of fact, Billy Graham's assignment is equal to your assignment. Everybody's got the same assignment. Go to heaven, take your oikos with you. If we do that, the whole world will be one for Christ. But that's different than your inner circle. Your inner circle are the five people you spend the most time with, that that you have the most influence. You open up your heart to them. And I believe they should all be fellow Christ followers because your average of your priorities will be their average. Your mission in life will be what their tends to be. Your purpose in life will be undergirded by their purpose in life. And so your oikos is 8 to 15 people that are not yet Christ followers that you're going to win and use as a bridge your relationships and your kindness and your love to them to influence them to join you in heaven. But your inner circle are the five that are closest to you. That's who you open up your heart. That's the people that you, you learn their ways. The people that are closest to you, that influence you, you have, we all have a tendency to learn the ways of the people around us. Now, Proverbs 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair or no hair is the splendor of the old. Now, this is the beauty of being in a multi-generational church. That's the wonderful thing about it. It's got certain points and friction and, and difficulties in it, but overall, it is a wonderful thing. Because you see, if you're just in a young adult church, a church is almost predominantly young adults, uh, you will have strength. 
You'll have enthusiasm. You'll have vitality. You'll have excitement uh, for the things of God. If you're just in a church of older people uh, with, the, with the gray hair of wisdom, you'll have tons of wisdom, but not much strength and enthusiasm. In the same way, if you're in a young adult church, you'll have tons of enthusiasm, but maybe lack the wisdom of the old. And I love the fact that we are intentionally uh, multi-ethnic, multiracial, diverse, um, uh, multi-generational church because we learn from each other, don't we? And it's a wonderful thing for those of us that are older to have the enthusiasm of like Larissa that was just on video announcements. You know, I watch that, I get fired up for Jesus, you know. Just watch it. So it's good for us. On the other hand, it's good for the young to be influenced by the wisdom of those who are older. As a matter of fact, let me give you an illustration of that. A man in the Bible named Rehoboam should have listened more to older, wiser voices. Uh, he is the son of Solomon, the famous King Solomon. You may not know Rehoboam, but you probably know his dad, who is Solomon. Solomon started off great in his reign, had a wonderful administration at the beginning. He actually asked God, God, give me wisdom for the purpose of better serving the people that I lead. Wonderful leadership prayer. And he did that for years. But then towards the end of his reign, he began to be influenced negatively by the people around him. And so as a result of that, he became a tyrant by the end of his reign. Started off serving the people, ended his reign having the people serve him. So when Rehoboam comes along, everybody's anxious to say, okay, which way is Rehoboam going to go? Is he going to be like the younger version of his father or the older version of his father? And so we pick it up now with chapter 12. And by the way, I put this wrong in the study outline. Ignore chapter 11. Uh, if you want to read this on your own, and I encourage you to read the whole story. It's awesome. Uh, read all of chapter 12, just chapter 12. Let's read the first 14 verses. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, this was an antagonist, this is the opposition party here, to Solomon and now carries over to Rehoboam, son of Nebat, heard this. He was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Go back to being the way your dad was early in his reign, and we will serve you. Uh, Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father, Solomon, during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. Now, these advisors, they remembered back to the good old days, the good Solomon of years gone by. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people. This is servant leadership. Jesus modeled this for us. This is the best kind of leader is a servant leader. And serve them and give them a favorable answer they will always be your servant. You serve them, they'll serve you. Together, we're better together. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, and these are the worst campaign speechwriters in human history. They're the absolute worst. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Next verse, verse 11. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. 
I will scourge you with scorpions. That is the worst political speech ever, ever written, my team. Fire that speechwriter. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My predecessor taxed you 20%. I will tax you 40%. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And as a result, it leads to a civil war. And so it's not just having influencers. It's choosing to have uh, the right influencers. Now, again, back to the unexpected joy uh, small groups that I encourage you to. I can't think of a better way to open your heart up to fellow influencers, to just eight to ten people for the next eight weeks, starting Su- Super Bowl, the first week, it's February, March, leading up to Easter. Just, just an eight-week commitment. I know how busy you are, but I can guarantee if you'll carve out those eight hours or those ten hours, hour, hour and a half, once a week, uh, for eight weeks, God is going to use it to change your life because you will be choosing the right influencers. Okay, now the second one is kind of similar to it. Choose the right mentors. Choosing the right influencers means the people horizontally that, that are kind of your friends and your colleagues. Choosing the right mentor is to choose somebody that's further along in their walk with Jesus in order to mentor you. You may want to write this down in your study outline. Everybody should have a mentor. Everybody should be a mentor. And maybe it's not a formal arrangement. Maybe it's an informal arrangement. But who in your life is further along in their walk with Christ that is mentoring you? And who in your life are you mentoring that is not as far along? They've just received Christ, or they're early on in in their maturity, uh, maybe age-wise or or spiritually. Um, Choose the right mentor. Be the right mentor. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 12. Mockers resent correction, so they avoid the wise. Uh, People will avoid a wise mentor because they don't want to hear the correction because a mentor will get in your face sometimes. I remember somebody years ago that challenged me about how, uh, what kind of husband I was. This is back in Homer. And uh, he took me out to breakfast, and then we sat in his car afterwards, and he said, you know what? You are making the church your priority rather than your marriage and your kids a priority. And he, it was correction, and it was painful. And I was defensive at first. But you, want, you don't want to avoid people like that. You want to run to people like that. Uh, Verse 31, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Now, this goes two ways. This is not just being mentored, but it is being a mentor. Verse 23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. There is no greater joy than to give an apt reply to someone you're mentoring to help them in their life. And how good is a timely word. Uh, verse 27, chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, a great example of this, and I'm going to have you read this, and I'm going to summarize it, but I encourage you to read the story of Jethro and Moses. And this is such a great story of a father-in-law being a mentor to his son-in-law, Moses. Jethro, the father-in-law, Moses, the son-in-law. Now, let me just mention the danger, the trap that Moses fell into. Uh, Moses is considered possibly the greatest leader in all of human history. I mean, to do what he did, to take a million and a half people out of slavery and over 40 years mold them into a, a, a strong government and a strong military in order to take the promised land is considered possibly the greatest leadership feat in all of history. 
Uh, Cheryl Gardner, Pastor Randy's wife, was just telling me that she was just at the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., and the only biblical figure uh, pictured in the House of Representatives is Moses. And he sits, his image sits right opposite the Speaker of the House. Uh, The only one is Moses, considered maybe the greatest leader of all time. But here's the danger of great leaders, or danger of people that uh, are very skilled in a particular area. This is the danger, that they think they're skilled in other areas as well. Or they think they're skilled in all areas. How many of you have had a a boss like that? Let me see your hands. And Tamiko, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. How many of you had a boss like that? You know, yeah. At the first service, Pastor Jay was sitting on the front and his hand goes right up. (laughs) Pastor Randy was sitting where you are, Justin, and he was much wiser. He's like, Jay. Jay, Jay you know, he's a heart guy, you know, he's a woo guy. Uh, But but we've all had somebody that we've known. And, and, And what you find is, the, more, the greater their skill is in a certain area, the more likely they think it spills over into other areas as well. And that's what happens uh, to, to Moses. Oh, Jeremy Birch told me a great quote I want to give to you. He said he read an article that said, uh, skill sets are jagged. Your gifts in life are jagged. That is, you might have something you're really good at right next to something you're not so good at. And I have to admit, this has been a blessing for me because I'm like good at only like one thing in life. I've never been under the illusion that I haven't needed other people's help. But somebody like Moses, he thought he could do, he thought he could do it all, and it got him into trouble. So anyway, he was an amazing leader. He was lousy at setting up a court judicial system. Lousy at it. As a matter of fact, here was his great idea for a judicial court system for a million and a half people. One judge. Him. Crazy. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes in. The Bible's interesting. It says it just, he just watched him for a day. Just watched him. And he comes up to him at the end of the day and says, what is this you're doing? What are you doing? And he says, well, they all come to me, and I, I judge them. And he goes, you're crazy. He says, you're going to wear yourself out, and the people aren't going to get good decisions. And Jethro, if you read it, he just has this brilliant court system where he divides the whole country into tens, hundreds, thousands, kind of like Moses is a Supreme Court. But then there's a circuit court and a district court and then uh, a local court. And, and, and just brilliant how he does it. And here's the good thing about Moses is he was humble enough to receive the mentorship. He said, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. And he changed his ways. And as a result, he didn't burn out. And as a result, the people were blessed at, at the same time. You know, I had somebody do that for me when I first came here 24 years ago. There was an older mentor on staff, our associate pastor at that time, Keith Korshens. And uh, he is a legend around here. And how he cared for his wife, who, um, as the story goes, uh, many of you know it, that she was about the last case of polio in L.A. County. Young mom, two little kids. And she was the last case of polio before the sock vaccine was made available so that we don't have polio today. And he took care of her the, the rest of his life. And, and we all looked up to him and we admired him so much. And I developed some bad habits as a pastor. I pastored, and I've told you this a hundred times, a little country church in Homer, New York, and little village in a rural dairy farming area. And, and so when I came to the church, it was a couple hundred people. And so I did almost all the hospital visitation, almost all the shut-in visitation. Well, over the time that I was there, it grew from a couple hundred to over a thousand. And I kept the same patterns that I developed when I first started. 
I was doing almost all the hospital visitation, almost all the shut-in visitation. I took my bad habits with me here to Southern California. And so I got here. And the first time a hospital visit needed to be done, it came in. And I said, okay, I'll take that. And Keith said, what do you think you're doing? Just like Jethro, what are you doing? Now, Keith would never speak that way to me, never. He had butter that would melt in his mouth and all over the place. I mean, yeah, this guy was the sweetest guy you know. But this is the way I heard it. He's like, what are you doing? You're insane. That's my job. You let me do that for you, and you go and prepare sermons, and you lead this church so that it can figure out how to grow and how to reach the next generation. I'll do my job. You do your job. You can't do your job if you're trying to do my job. And I'm so grateful for this Jethro in my life that mentored me in that way. Now, if you look on the back of your program, you're going to see all these different mentorship groups we have. We, that's part of our DNA here at Purpose Church is mentoring. It's in student ministries with small groups. Basically, it's small group leaders mentoring the students that are in their group. Um, fifth, sixth ministry, junior high ministry, uh, high, high school ministry. I mean, it's, it's all the way through uh, to adults. Marriage mentoring. Oh, my goodness. We have one of the finest marriage ministries in the whole nation. And if you want a good marriage to be great, or if you want an average marriage to be good, marriage mentoring is phenomenal. We have marriage enrichment classes at all three hours, 8.30, 9.45, and 11.11. And just great leadership from people like the LaRoses and, and the Amarals and the Dyers. That, and, and then these great videotapes of the best marriage speakers in America. And then discussion to apply those uh, to your life. Um, mentoring for young adults with Pastor Jarrett, who is just up here leading worship. Uh, young adults being mentored by older people within the church. Rhea Boehm's being mentored by the elders like there were under Solomon. Uh, mentoring your grandchildren. That's a class that's going to start right after 945. Uh, it, it begins in a couple, few Sundays from now. And you just walk right out of the 945 service. You walk right out of it and, and, and go to that grandpa, mentoring your grandchildren. And then Agape Sisters, which is really more than mentoring. It's really different than mentoring. It's more like mutual uh, encouragement of each other. And so the first theme is to choose the right influencers. The second theme is to choose the right mentors. And really, these two, now here's the main point I want to make this morning. This, this is the main thing I, I want to talk about and, and for, with the remainder time that we have. And really, the first two help you to do the third. Finding the right mentors, uh, finding the right influencers will help you to do the third thing, which is to peak later in life. Now you say, Glenn, what are you talking about? Well, my definition of peaking is being at your best at the most important time. Being at your best at the most important time. Now, many pounds ago and many years ago, I used to run track. So, you know, now people see me later years and they're like, you know, what happened to you over the years? Wait, you were the distance guy? You were, you were the shot putter? You were the, the, the distance guy? I said, no, 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 I was the distance guy. And um, I was terrible at peaking at the right time. I, I was just a- absolutely, you know, terrible at it. Um, uh, in high school, freshman, junior, freshman, sophomore year, I would always peak during the regular season and not during the big meets that were later on in the year. My junior year, I finally peaked at the regional meet, but not at the state meet. Finally, my senior year, I peaked at the state meet. Got it right, went back to my old ways when I went to college. And every year of college, my best races were either in the middle of the season or at the conference meet, never at nationals. 
As a matter of fact, when I competed for an American team in Eastern Europe after my senior year, uh, my biggest opportunity of all, I was one or two months past my peak, had a horrific summer. And so I said to myself, you know what, Glenn, you've not been very good at peaking in your athletic uh, life, but maybe you can learn how to do it in regular life. And the book of Proverbs is all about learning how to peak at the right time in your life. You see this in a typical NFL season. Um, the morning of October 14th, if you would ask me, who do you think is going to be in the Super Bowl? If you would ask many people across the nation, if you would ask some of the experts, I would have said it's going to be a repeat of Super Bowl number one that was in the L.A. Coliseum right here in Los Angeles, uh, the Green Bay Packers against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs on the morning of October 14th were 5-0. and They were red hot. They had already beaten New England in New England. They had already... Um, they had already uh, beaten the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they were red hot. Uh, the Packers were the hottest team in the NFC. Many people thought the best team in the NFC. And so I said, well, I think it's going to be a repeat of Chiefs versus Packers. Six hours later, the Chiefs had begun a seven-game losing streak. And this terrible, terrible thing happened. This, I can't even look at it. You know, you guys look at it. I can't even look at it. Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone, and that was it uh, for the Packers. All right. So, Lord, in the same way Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone, would you break Tom Brady's thumb? <laughs> that is terrible. That is so terrible. I'm so going to be struck dead right here in front of you. God's going to give an example to the body of Christ. I will strike him dead, and the fear of the Lord will fall on them. Uh, now, uh, we know in sports, it's all about you know, it's all about peaking during the playoffs, not during the regular season. Play the regular season well enough to get into the playoffs, but then be red hot in the playoffs. So when I mentor young leaders, I talk a lot about peaking in life at the right time. Now, some of this, based on your career, I understand it may not be possible. But when it's possible to do this, we should do this. You see, here, here's what many people did from my generation. Okay? This, was, this is something I was hugely tempted to do is you put all your energy into your career early on. Just when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're just burning. You want to be successful. You want it so bad. And you pursue it to, while neglecting your marriage and while neglecting your kids. And many people find themselves at the age of 45, having already peaked in their career, their marriage is in shambles, if it's still in existence at all. Their relationship with their kids are almost non-existent, and they've got 20 years of boredom past their peak in their career waiting for them until they retire. And so I challenge young leaders, if in any way you can slow down your ambition early in life so that you arrive at the age of 45, not yet peaked in your career, and with 20 years of peaking ahead of you, a sound marriage and sound relationships with your kids, that will be a blessing if you do that. Now, I will confess to you, I was tremendously tempted in this area. And I'm so grateful for my wife, Kimberly. She just wouldn't let it happen. And I'm so grateful for her because left to my own devices, I would have given that first 45-year-old, not the, not the, 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 the latter uh, situation. And, you know, I think this new generation is better at this. Their instincts are better than, than my generation. I really have seen this in my kids, and I've seen it with other young pastors on our staff. I think your instincts are better on this thing. I mean, my son-in-law, uh, Kenny, uh, he's a lawyer for the Justice Department in Washington, D.C., and he just turned down a big promotion and, uh, because he had a two-year-old at home. 
And he said, I'll get another chance at that. And in his case, he will get another shot at it later on. And I know that may not be the case in all careers. He'll, he'll get another shot at it. But he says, just not now because I got a two-year-old at home. And I looked at that and I was in awe. And I said, I don't know that I could have done that when I was his age. I don't know that I could have uh, resisted that temptation. Now, the book of Proverbs helps us in this. The book of Proverbs is a book primarily for young adults. Now, don't get me wrong. It becomes even more precious to you as the years go by. But it was a book, you know, primarily older adults mentoring or speaking uh, to, to younger adults. Um, you see, everything you learn in the book of Proverbs, you can learn in the school of hard knocks. Anybody older want to say amen to that? You can learn it all. You don't have to read the book of Proverbs. But you can end up at, the, at my age beaten to a pulp having made all kinds of major mistakes, a shattered person, you can learn all of it on your own. It's just, why do you want to? God says, why don't I give you this information in advance because I know the future. And so the book of Proverbs tells you how to avoid dangerous shortcuts and to peak later in life rather than sooner. Now, with the last few minutes of this message, I just want to warn those of you that are like my age, This could be painful because I have regrets. We all have regrets later in life, and this could be painful. And I want you just to hang with me because next Sunday I'm going to share from the book of Proverbs a major theme, which is when you get knocked down in life, when you get knocked down in life, how to get back up again and to finish strong. So it's a great message of encouragement. So hang with me till next Sunday Uh, but because some of this may awaken some regrets But I think you'll agree with me, we need to talk to those that are younger. We want to share this with them so they don't repeat uh, some of our uh, same mistakes. So let's pick it up now. The Proverbs 16, verse 25, spiritually, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Now this applies to any stage in life. It's better to accept Christ, not to have all the stuff of this life and never accept Christ and end up in hell than it is to accept Christ. Now you can do this at 90 as much as you can do it at age 19. Um, uh, now, it's not just for heaven. It's for this life as well. Proverbs 21, verse 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and love will in the end find life, prosperity, and honor. You invest in righteousness and love early in life. You will reap life, prosperity, and honor later in life. It applies to our finances. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better a quiet meal at home than a steak at Ruth Chris Steakhouse that runs up your credit card debt even more. And by the way, it's still time to jump in on Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. It's Sunday mornings at 9.45. Don't run out of the sermon right now. It's probably too late. But next Sunday at 9.45, it's on Tuesday nights. You can get more information at the Connect Center if you would like to jump into the finest financial management class maybe in, in world history. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 7. Uh, leads with our children. The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. The more on fire we are for Jesus, the more likely more things are caught than taught, and the more likely that our children will catch that enthusiasm uh, for the things of the Lord. Invest in our children now and and, and make it a priority now and reap uh, what we've sown uh, later on. Um, Pastor Eric shared just a great great quote with me uh, the other day from uh, Andy Stanley, a pastor we greatly admire in Atlanta, Georgia. Andy Stanley said, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. 
Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone that, that, that you raise. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 6, start children off in the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, we all know wonderful Christian parents that have made it a high priority. And God gives everybody individual self-will. And so they, our children can make their own decisions later in life. I understand that. Uh, the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of probabilities based on priorities. It's not, this is not a promise from Scripture. Instead, what it is, is it says, if you make children and their spiritual development your priority, there's a higher probability that they will follow Christ uh, later on. Came across a verse this last week that just absolutely blew me away. Just, just blew me away. I'd never paid attention to it before. Second, Corinthians, Second Kings 17, verse 41. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. Even while the people of Israel were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. And I want you to read uh, the young man that's talked about in Proverbs chapter 5. It's about investing in your marriage uh, so that your marriage stays strong. And I've already talked uh, about that. But can I just say a word? This, this story in Proverbs 5, it basically has this point to it. Treasure and cherish the wife or husband of your youth. And it's about avoiding temptation of adultery, but, but other things as well. And can I just say a word that kind of summarizes what we find here in Proverbs 5? Is for those of you that are early in your marriage, or even the first half of your marriage... Just get through the early years and you'll get to your later years where you just begin to cherish that marriage and cherish that relationship. If you push through, they say research shows that if you can just get through the, the first 10 years, you should have your biggest party on your 10th anniversary. Forget about the 25th and the 50th. Biggest party. Because you're, you're no more likely to divorce at year 11 than you are at year 51. Which is kind of like, what's the point at 51 anyway? I, 51 years. I, I won't say that when Kimberly's sitting in the second row. But it's like, but remember, everybody, that, that statistic came out when Al and Tipper Gore got divorced, you know? And everybody's like, what? The Gores are divorced? The Clintons are still together? And the Gores are everybody's like, what? You know, this is crazy. And they said, no, if you just get through that first 10 years. And here's what happens. If you can just push through those early battles in marriage, who works harder? him or her? Who spends more, him or her? Whose parenting approach is more correct, his or hers? Uh, who do you listen to, her or your father or your mother? Who does she listen to, you or your father or a mother? These are the early, the early struggles. Uh, here's the biggest one. Do you want to change them into who you want them to be rather than who they actually are? Once you get through those early struggles and battles, if you can wait and push through, you will get to a point where you cherish that person. You, you can rejoice in the wife of your youth or the husband of your youth. And so I encourage you to read Proverbs 5 because the Bible does a lot better job of it than I just did.